morning, church. Good morning, City Life. Good morning, City Lifers, friends, families, visitors. We're so grateful that you're here. So grateful that we can come and worship Jesus one more time. This past week, I went through the calendar and I was like, okay, how many more Sundays until we've been doing this remote thing for a year? And it turns out after today, in six Sundays, we'll have been doing this for one year which just blows my mind, speaks to me about God's faithfulness and our resolve to worship Him, to live Him out in our lives entirely. And so, City Life, um, I am so grateful for you. First year as being a lead pastor with this church, um, I would not have asked for the pandemic in any way, but I'm grateful for this community that we have, grateful for all of you. And also with that, with this love of this community that we have, if I know your birthday, you're not safe, I need to shout you out. And so, Clara, happy birthday. I want to see everyone in the chat below saying happy birthday to Clara. We love you. We're so grateful for your presence in our church and in our lives. I hope you really enjoy this birthday. Today we are continuing with our Ephesians series, our mystery series, talking about the mystery of God's will, the mystery of His plan that Ephesians talks about just so blown away from this epistle, the queen of the epistles of what God, the beauty that God has in his plan and everything. And I want to start out by reading this quote from C.S. Lewis in a book called Mere Christianity that I kind of feel like a Christian should read almost on an annual basis. And this is what he says. In our pursuit to understand our identity in Christ, this is what Lewis said. Your real new self which is Christ's and also yours, and yours just because it is his, will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him. Does that sound strange? The same principle holds, you know, for more everyday matters. Even in social life, you will never make a good impression on other people until you stop thinking about the sort of impression you are making. The principle runs through all of life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body. In the end, submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him everything else is thrown in. I I wanted to start off that way because I think it just so beautifully talks about what we have started, what we started last week in our mystery series, looking at this picture of what Ephesians is building for us. That if you come and you confess, you know Jesus and then you confess him as Lord, everything changes. That this isn't just a metaphor for love or beauty. This isn't the universe communicating some great feeling or a new way of life or being just grateful. No, but it's that confessing the name of Christ changes everything about who you are and the world around us. That it isn't just this like beautiful picture about renewal and love and peace, 
though all those things belong to the Lord, but it's that in Christ we find everything, and outside of Christ there is nothing that we should want. And that life with Jesus isn't just an additive, right? If any of us, church, have uh, come to Christ under the impression that if I just add Jesus to my life, if I just say, yeah, Jesus, come along for the ride, you're going to make it better, you're going to make it wholer, then if any of us were led to that, when we were coming to Christ, we have been done in injustice because we should have been taught the truth that saying yes to Christ changes absolutely everything. That Jesus isn't an additive, he's the entire thing. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Saying yes to Christ changes everything. It should change everything. And so if you are a believer and you weren't even aware of the depth of what you were stepping into, know today and in this series the depth of the beauty of belonging in Christ. And if you are exploring this Christian faith, if you've come to this point in your life where you're like, I, I don't have, I need more answers, I don't, I'm not complete, I've tried this and this and this and nothing comes, and you're exploring this Jesus thing, then let me tell you that it, it will encompass everything, it will require everything, but in the process, because you find yourself in Christ, you'll gain everything. You'll gain infinitely more than you'll ever be able to gain anywhere else. That in Jesus, everything makes sense. That saying yes to Jesus will not only give you purpose or beauty or meaning, but that it'll, it'll change you. And that's what we're stepping into this week. That's the first part of what we are preaching about in this Ephesians series. Yet last week, we introduced everything. This week, we step into this sub-theme of new life. That saying yes to Christ changes everything about our lives. That this is, yes, a beautiful and mysterious plan that God started, but that he makes it clear to us that it's all pointing towards Christ. That in Christ's coming, he was building this new society, this new world, this new order, and not like all of uh, we hear on the news about globalists and, thing, and the new world order and the Illuminati. No, not like that, but this society that is a, the glimpse of God's kingdom that we have until he comes down here. And so today we're looking again at new life. And we're seeing what scripture has to say about us, Lord. What is it that when I say yes to you, what change, what fundamentally changes in me, my heart, my soul, my spirit? How am I different now? And so today we're going to read Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 10. And we'll be talking about some major, crucial fundamental fundamental aspects, distinctives in our faith that make Christ so important to everything. We're going to talk about these major ideas, and if we get some of, if we get these major ideas, church, uh, this isn't just being me saying this flippantly, but if we get these and they penetrate more deeper than just our, our minds, if they go into our hearts and our souls and change the way we live and the way you even perceive and think about God, then we will find that we will never lack in our lives, that we will always have a firm grasp on our Jesus and that we will always be growing and be fruitful and so we need to talk about these deep, deep theological truths because they inform everything about who we are and what Christ has done 
in our lives so that we can go out and live these lives in this new society then that, that we are called to. And so before we even go in there, today is, is big. I think it's big in the life of our church. If we really grasp this, then, man, God will do amazing things in our lives. And so please, let's pray before we even go in. Today is an ambitious, this sermon series has an ambitious agenda of what Scripture says to us. And so let's pray and give the Holy Spirit the room to do the work that only He can do. And so please join me in prayer. And Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for all of my brothers and sisters, Lord. I thank you for this life that you've given us, Lord, these promises and these truths. I thank you that saying yes to you changes everything and not just a little bit or not just makes life okay or livable until we see you, but, Lord, that this transformation, the sanctification happens now. Lord, uh, Holy Spirit, we give you the room. We give you the permission to uh, do the work in us, in our community that you know needs to be done. Transform us into deeper, more committed followers of Christ. Lord, let us live our entire lives out of this place of knowing Christ, of being in Christ. And so, Lord, we give you permission to do your will, to do what you want to do on this morning through this sermon series. We want to be changed by you. And so, Lord, I pray all of this in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we are reading, continuing Ephesians, reading the next couple of verses here. Beautiful, beautiful portion here. We'll talk about how special it is in a second, but first let's read it. Let's hear it. It goes like this, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Oof. I love this. I love these verses. So last week we, we talked about how Paul starts. In the first two verses, we get the glimpse of what Paul is doing in this story, that it's all about God. Everything that's good comes from God. Nothing can be found that is good or worthy outside of Christ. And now Paul is saying, I'm, the fact that I'm even an apostle is an act of God's will, not of my own or my merit, but it's, a God, uh, it's an act of God's will. He calls us saints if we're faithful in Christ, and we're going to talk about today and how beautiful that is. And then he also said, peace to you, grace to you, and peace from God, saying that peace and grace are only truly found 
in Christ and that people who don't know him can have glimpses of him, have glimpses of his beauty, but they don't have that peace and grace that believers do inside of them, that there's something about them is lost and, and searching. And today he, he takes us up, he ramps us up, and we start going and we start realizing that it's more, more, more about Christ than we could have ever imagined. I love this, these section of verses. In, Paul, in, the, in Ephesians chapter 1, from one to verse 1 to verse 14, it's this ongoing, just in love Paul, who is just so crazy, almost fanatical about this Christ. And we see this in the, original, in the writing because in the Greek, this is all one sentence. It's like this guy who's crazy, he's so overwhelmed, he's so overrun with God's love and compassion and his plan and his pursuit of us. He is just so enamored by all this that he, he starts dictating what his writers should write and he just doesn't stop and he keeps going. So I read this calmly and I read this slowly, but I think it's much more appropriate to just read it without uh, with ignoring the commas, ignoring the periods, because all those are placed there for us to be able to catch our breath and see what he's saying here. But no, but Paul is really, he's just so overwhelmed and inspired by the Holy Spirit saying, Blessed be the God, our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He keeps going because he just can't stop talking about the goodness of God. In fact, these verses here are, a lot of times commentators call them the golden chain with many links because it's so beautiful and it has such a high view of what God was doing and it just keeps going and going and takes no, no pauses. He doesn't want to stop telling us about how good God is. And he's, so he's just going this golden chain of beauty with many links. And it is such a unique and beautiful segment of Scripture. One that mentions every part of the Trinity. See, the Father. Let's talk about the Father for a second. Before we dive into our main points, let's, let's look at this. He talks about the Father. The Father is the subject of almost every single... Well, He is the subject of every single major verb in this because to Paul, in, in this moment, God, did, God the Father did everything. And so let's see here. In verse 3, He blessed us. He chose us in verse 4. He destined us, predestined us to be his sons in verse 5. He freely bestowed on us his grace, verse 6. He lavished his grace upon us, verse 8. Verses 9 and 10, he says that he made known to us his will and purpose that he set forth in Christ to unite all things. And then in verse 11, he uh, accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will going from 11 to 14 here. It's just so beautiful. It is just everything good that happens was set forth by God, that he made the decision for that to happen. We'll talk about that in a second. And then he turns his attention to the son here. That this son, one of the commentators I read that I love, he said, the father started this plan and then put his whole plan in the sphere of Christ. And so God's fullness, the fullness of his plan, the fullness of his mystery is all found in the sphere of Christ. That's why we confess Christ so much. And so here Jesus is mentioned by name or title in the first 14 verses here 15 times because he is just so blown away by what Christ did for us that everything here really is built on Christ and for him. 
And then here, this was beyond what we read today, but it, then it goes on to talk about in first, verses 13 and 14 that the Holy, the promised Holy Spirit is the guarantee or the down payment of this assurance that we can have in Christ. That if you have and know the Holy Spirit, then you can be assured that you are part of the family. But we'll talk about that next week. First, originally this was part of today, but I needed to separate it. We need to talk about that next week. We need to have more time because today is going to be tough. Because we're going to talk about some big things, some important things, some fundamentally life-altering, soul-changing things. And so today, we're going to talk about three major theological points that don't just stop at theology, but inform our praxis, that inform the way we think and live and move in this world. The first one is election, then adoption, and then we're going to talk about unification. So let's start with election. Election is so much more beautiful than I had first originally thought of it. And let's read. Let's start reading verses 3 to 6. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace in which we, in which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, now church, listen to this. Election is that God chose us in him. We talked about that last week, but today we need to further unpack what that really means and some implications. And this is what Paul is saying. He's reaching back even before anything ever existed, before this, before time even began, before time began to click, before there was a universe, before there were planets, before your mom was created, before your dad was created, before you, but even before humanity, before everything, God in his heart and in his mind set off to make a decision and he said that he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And I want us to keep thinking about what that means, what that implies in our lives, what, that, what truth and comfort and love and assurance that should speak over our lives, that before anything was created, God had already decided that he wanted you in Christ that he would make a way for you to get to him, that he would make a way for me to get to him, that he would make a way for all of humanity to get to him. That he, before anything ever existed, that God in his trinity, in himself, in his perfect being, made a perfect decision according to his will and his insight and his thinking that we would find acceptance, forgiveness, in Christ through him. Church, I, I want that to speak into the areas of all of your insecurities. All of the places that you beat yourself over the head. All of the places where you carry tremendous shame and guilt. All of the areas that you know you don't measure up and you don't measure up. 
and all of the places where you have habitual sin or generational sin or you just can't get over this one thing and so you just cast yourself with so much shame and so much guilt and so much hatred and you beat yourself. I heard this analogy once that sometimes Satan isn't the one beating you but he gives you a stick and teaches you how to hit yourself. Let, let this, let election speak to you that God before you ever existed, before you committed your first sin, before you could lie about yourself to yourself, before you can cast yourself down, before you can be more hateful towards yourself than anybody else ever would be, before all of those things, before you opened your eyes, before you took your first breath, before the 10th generation ago of your family was born, God decided that he would make a way for you to be blameless, to receive forgiveness, and that's through Christ. That in life, that in love, God made this avenue for us to get to him. That if we confess Jesus as our Lord, then nothing overrides the decision that he made. No amount of sin, though we sin so much, no amount of hatred or division, no amount of us turning our backs on him, no amount, no, but that God in his perfect will said, I'll make a way to cover all of your blemishes but it has, it's going to come through him, through Christ. Before you've committed your first sin, God made a way for you to be blameless before him. See, election is an act of grace offered to all people that we will never fully understand or even understand why, he, how that can be possible but at times, and with this, with election, it's not about what we can think or understand or reason out, but it's because God made this decision, and so it is. That God chose you, me, us, all of us, this beloved. He chose us in himself. And so there are two major implications for this. There are two major implications that election tells us. The first, in God's, in God's pursuit to tell us who we really are, to speak identity into us, to tell us that being in Christ redefines everything about who we are. We know, we learn here that we are no longer called sinners, but we are now saints. And so, church, let that rush over you right now, that you, before God, if you're in Christ, you are a saint and not a sinner. You sin, yes, and you will sin until you Meet Jesus face to face until your time here on this earth is done. But your identity is no longer sinner. It is saint because it is Christ who stands before you. Let's read verse four, the end of verse 4. It starts like, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That God's election makes a way for us to be holy and blameless with him. And so the implications is first that you are a saint and you are not a sinner. That the sanctification process that the Holy Spirit does in our lives is ongoing and will be ongoing until we take our final breath here, but that you are seen as a saint and not because of your own good or because you've earned it. No, he made that decision before time even began that he would wait, make a way for us to be saints and not sinners. And so we have received this identity on behalf of what Christ did for us on the cross. And then the second implication here is the beloved. He talks here about the beloved in verse 6. Verse 6 says, To the praise of his gracious grace, glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
that being part of this, uh, saying yes to this election, of stepping into election, that our lives aren't just about us, but it's about us pursuing Christ, right? Being in Christ. But even further than that, then us saying yes to Christ, we step into his sphere and then we belong to this beloved, this community of believers, of the body of believers, of the cloud of witnesses of believers that have lived ever since the apostles, Jesus himself, but then the apostles took this word to the ends of the word, to the ends of the earth, that we are a part of this beloved community. There's a lot of theological talk about what this beloved is, but at the very basis, it's the community of believers, is the church in this world. The church that has this glimpse, that has embodies this new society that God calls us to live in. And that the church in the world here is the clear, except for the Holy Spirit, the clearest visible sign of God's kingdom that's coming. We don't always live up to that standard, right? But that is the truth of what God tells us. That's why God does not give up on the church. It's because we are this beloved that he died to bring to this earth. And so our life isn't just about us. Election isn't Election says, no, it's not about me. It's about Christ in me. And it's not even there. It's about me being part of this beloved now that I join the legacy of believers. And so here in election, we're going to talk about it more in the weeks to come, but we see that it's both personal in every aspect of your identity, but it's also this community, beloved, that we step into. And so we'll have much more to say, but we got to move on. Let's talk about adoption. Adoption is a subject that I've talked about a lot at church. So if you've been with me here at City Life for the years that I've been here, even before being lead pastor, I, adoption is just central, beautiful idea of what God was doing. But he highlights it here. And so let's start reading from verse 5 to 8. It says, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insights. Adoption is this beautiful idea. Adoption is this idea that um, I think this is one of the reasons why God so uniquely chose Paul, because Paul, Paul was a Jew, but he was also a Roman, and so he understood Roman law really well. And so this is the idea, because the idea of adoption was in Jewish culture, was in the Hebrew culture, all over the place. But then Paul takes it up a notch here. Well, God, Jesus takes it up a notch, and he starts talking about Roman adoption. And Roman adoption is what we base our adoption on. And so it's a familiar metaphor for us, but it's saying this. This is, of course, it's about belonging. It's about that we belong to him, yes. But it's also very much theologically about us sharing in this, all of the privileges of the family we're adopted into. See, an, an adopted son enjoyed every single legal protection, legal right of his new house. And so there, there's, no, there's no separation between a biological son and, a, and an adopted son in this system because once you're adopted, you get full rights and privileges into this family. And so God here is saying, you know what? Even while you were still my enemies, I went after you to make you my kids. So if election was God setting up the fact that all of us belong and that he'll pursue all of us, adoption is the avenue. It's like the road that he paved for us to get there. 
that we would come to him, but we wouldn't be his, only his servants. We wouldn't only be his slaves. We wouldn't only be like a less, but no, that we would have full rights in Christ, all of the, all of the rights that Christ, the only son, the firstborn son, shared in belonging to the Father's house applies to us, applies to you and to me, that there's no, in the spiritual world, there's no legal difference, there's no legal different outcome for us than Christ, but that Christ, we join in and share in every right that Christ has with our Father. Before we get to our, a, a couple of points in this, first let me say that there is a deep and beautiful promise to this for all of us, specifically for women. Ladies, there's so much of scripture that I know you read and you're like, okay, in this male dominant or in the male neutral voice here, it applies to you and to me. So we have to just in our heads be sure, okay, this applies to us because we're daughters. But very intentionally, Paul did not do that here. And he did this, he did this for a reason. In him, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And what God is saying here to you, to you specifically women, men too, but women as well, is that you before God in Christ have every legal standing that a man does. That there is no difference. Paul says this in other parts of the the New Testament. He says that from knowing Christ, being in Christ, there is no separation between male and female in rights to the king. That you enjoy every inheritance that I do. And that to us seems hopefully normal. It seems like a good idea. But no, it was revolutionary. And it still is revolutionary. That spiritually there is nothing that makes me well, a better heir to the, to the throne than you. That there's no, that you don't need a man to belong to Christ. That you don't need to get married or have kids to belong to Christ. That you, in and of yourself, are lovely. God chose you, and he wouldn't have made it any other way. He made adoption for you as a son to get, gain every legal right that any other man would, that any man would get. So I, I wanted to say that because, ladies, there is absolutely nothing in the gospel that makes women less than men. But let's talk about the two sides of adoption now. There are two things that we really need to consider when talking about adoption. The first one is privilege, and the second one is responsibility. Privilege, like what we talked about already, is, this, is that we share in every, every right that Christ gives us. That we are all heirs to the product of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And, and what is that, we might say? That's in verse 7 here. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. That being adopted into Jesus' family, or the Father's family, means that we have redemption and we have forgiveness. And we say that often, but that let that sink in. Let that go a bit deeper. Let your soul really grasp that it has been totally forgiven. In Christ, it has been totally redeemed forgiven, wiped away all of your sins, not because you deserve it or because you don't sin, but because Christ made it so. And redemption, that you have salvation, that you can get to the Father through a relationship with Christ. Is there any other privilege that we would need? This section here is called every spiritual blessing. That if we would only realize that in Christ we have access to every spiritual blessing, we are not the same 
that we are different, that we are now saints, not because I deserve that, but because God has made his mind to make me one. Not because I, haven't, I stopped sinning the second I believed in Christ, but because God made a way for me to stand before him, whereas I could not have done that without Christ. And then the second part of adoption is responsibility. And responsibility to, to someone who doesn't want to hear this sounds bad, but it's beautiful. Responsibility is this, that if we gain the family name, that if we gain the family status, that if we gain the inheritance, and if we do it all out of love, which is what God designed it to be, then we will be so in love with our Father, we will be so in love with what the life that He gave us that we would never have had on our own, and that this responsibility, we take up this responsibility to live like He did, to emulate Him, to be proud of Him, to say to everyone, this is my Father, this is my Christ. This is my Holy Spirit. I have no life outside of them. Nothing that is good in my life is apart from what they've done in me. That I was destined to live a bad life and then to die. But that Christ came and he changed everything. He opened up my soul and my spirit. And now the life I live is because Christ is living in me. Because I share in his adoption. I, it is so beautiful. It is so gracious that we would ever be considered to be adopted in his family. Well, let's take that and let's go one step further and talk about unification. Let's read verses 9 and 10. God's word says this, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. If God chose us through election to, be to belong to him, if God in his mind before time even began said that he would make a way for all of us to get to him in love through Christ, and then if he built that road, that way through adoption, saying, you know what, I'm legally claiming you, you becoming my family, you're one of my kids just like Jesus, that when I look at you, I see Jesus because you have every inheritance that Christ earned. That we couldn't have earned it, but Jesus earned it for us. And then we see that all of that becoming and the stepping into this fear. You now God the Father started this plan. He put the entirety of this plan in the sphere of Christ. And it's all for the purpose of unification. And unification is this. For us believers... That we're told that times will get tough, right? The end of the world is coming. Things are going to be much difficult when that end is coming. That year after year after year, there'll be more tribulation, more persecution, more all of these things. That we're headed towards the end. But that for those who believe, the end is the beginning of eternity. That the end is the unification of everything back to Christ's rule. I read this beautiful uh, commentary, God's New Society by John Stott. I've been reading that these weeks. And he writes this in it. So Paul seems to be referring again to that cosmic renewal, the regeneration of the universe, that liberation of the groaning creation of which he has already written in Romans. 
God's plan is that all things which were created through Christ and for Christ and which hold together in Christ will finally be united under Christ by being subjected to his headship. He is the heir of all things. The unification is this final part of the plan that everything will be brought back into its rightful place being ruled by Christ. That when God created everything, he put us in the sphere of Christ, and in the fall we left that sphere, and now God's saying everything is coming back to him. Creation itself. Creation, like Paul writes in Romans, that groans and waits for its redemption. That there will be no more natural chaoses, that there will be no more hurricanes or tornadoes that claim lives or mudslides, that the whole earth would not be crying out, that we wouldn't be using the planet or the world just for our commodities, but that redemption will come to creation. That it works on a cosmic level. But then it also works on a human level. That we will be living in a place that is directly ruled by Christ and therefore whole in, in, in every way. That we join this family, that God chose us, we join his family, and then we live in his home. We live in his kingdom where only true peace is found. So unification becomes so important to us because that is the longing of our lives is to be unified back with Christ. Is say, yeah, Lord, I love living here because you placed me here. I have you here with me. Your kingdom is here, not in its fullness, but it's here. But I long to be with you where you reign totally. That one day all of this will be totally renewed by you because you are going to live here. I love this unification, that it would be the hope of our souls. What our souls are looking forward to in the future the most out of anything is to one day be back with this Christ who made everything possible for us. And so for the sake of time, let's conclude some things to try and make sense of all this, to move it past just our heads and into our hearts. I want to start concluding today by talking about an idea that C.S. Lewis wrote about. I don't know if it has a name, but I, I love every time I've ever read that he talks about this. He says that people who don't, choo- who don't want to choose Christ, who don't choose Christ on purpose, won't, live, won't be able to live in heaven even if they chose to. And it's because heaven isn't just perfect because it's this perfect place. But heaven is beautiful and perfect and glorious because that's where Christ lives and reigns. And so if someone like us, before we know Christ, ever found themselves in heaven, let's just, let's just picture that, they wouldn't be able to stay there because they reject everything about that place that makes that place lovely. And so heaven isn't just perfect because it's perfect, but it's heaven because that's where Christ's reign is complete. So far, this is the picture that Ephesians has painted for us. That all of this, it was made by Christ and for Christ. That God's plan made it that way. And the Holy Spirit is what powers all of us to get to this place of election, adoption, and then ultimately unification. Today we talked about some really deep, like really fundamentally Christian ideas. Ideas that set our faith apart from every other faith in the world that is built on this Christ. And we have to realize that if not in Christ, then nothing that whenever other religions have a glimpse of beauty or, or they get something like pretty uniquely right, it's because 
That's just a glimpse of what Christ has and offers. But if you take out Christ out of any equation, that equation is going to be wrong. That if Christ isn't the entire equation, then there's the most important thing missing. Not just a piece, but the most important thing. And so all of this was built by the Father. I hope, we, I hope we're starting to understand this. Everything here was built by Father. This is his plan and his will. And then he put his whole plan, he put his whole being, he put his whole essence in this one man who we're supposed to be in. Who like, picture like a snow globe. This whole plan in the snow globe. And then we have to be in that snow globe. And the Holy Spirit is the one that makes all of this possible. That fuels us, that keeps us going, that sanctifies us, that keeps us on mission and impassioned. And so as we dive into Ephesians today, let's continue to remind ourselves in Christ or nothing. That if we don't have Christ, we are missing everything. That all of this makes sense only because we know Christ. And so our whole faith is designed around not ignoring the Father or the Holy Spirit, but it's about getting people to accept Christ because that's what the Father, how the Father designed it. We can get to the Father through Christ. We can know the Holy Spirit and have him inside of us through Christ. And so that's why we profess the name of Christ everywhere we ever go. It's because if we don't have Christ, we're missing everything. And so, church, in Christ, we have access to every spiritual blessing. That is a biblical promise that in Christ, every spiritual blessing is ours. And so let's continue to find a way to let Ephesians empower the way that we chase after that. Here are some prompt questions that we'll get into our MC calls. Next week, we're going to have one giant call together, and we'll take communion, so get ready for that. Church, we love you all. We'll see you in MCs. Have a great week. Talk to you later. All right, church, here are our prompt questions for the morning. The first one, if election is God choosing you first, do you easily accept his choice or do you question why he would do that? I know that there are so many of us who just can't wrap our minds around the fact that God wants you. Do you accept that? Do you honestly accept that God's choosing of you overrides your doubt of his choice? Question number two. Do you believe in, privilege, in the privilege that you have been given in adoption? And do you take the responsibility seriously enough? When we talked about privilege and responsibility. Are you grateful for the privilege, the life that you have that you would not have had before knowing Christ? And then do you live out the family values? Do you pursue God and live it out so that people can see? Prompt question number three. Do you understand why our faith promotes accepting Christ? Our whole faith is built on getting people to know the Father and the Holy Spirit through Christ. Is it starting to make more sense? Would you be able to answer to an unbeliever, why do you talk about Jesus so much? All right, church, again, I know I said goodbye already, but we love you. So grateful for you. Let's join our MC calls and process through today's word. Love you all. Have a good week.